Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of themindrenewed.com coming to you as usual from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK and welcome to TMR number 285 which is a conversation with our good friend Anthony Rotuno who joins us today to talk about something which I think probably a large percentage of you already know about and have probably heard commentary on but we're going to have a go today ourselves to talk about the BBC's recent supposed documentary and i'm putting that in definite air quotes or inverted commas depending on which side of the pond you you live on um called unvaccinated which was broadcast on bbc2 the intellectual channel um on wednesday the 20th of july and as i said before that's uh, had a lot of response and we're going to give our response today so welcome anthony back to uh, tmr it's good to be speaking to you again hi julian nice to be here again uh, lost count the amount of times I've been on over the years, but uh, gets better and better. <laughs> You've not been on enough times, so it's going, to, it's going to be many, many more times. I do hope. Excellent. So this is going to be interesting because uh, you've already talked about this to some extent on your own podcast, one of your podcasts, Life and Life Only podcast, which I very much enjoyed, and uh, it prompted me to think, yeah, perhaps we could have a conversation about it also on TMR and expand that, of course, to both of our viewpoints on it. Um, you've also talked a little bit about it on Sonia Poulton's show, is that right? Just for a little while? Yeah, I was just on there uh, last week. Did you say it was the 21st? It was a couple of days after that, I think. 20th, I think, yeah. Oh, was it 20th, yeah. So a couple of days mm. after that, it was on Twitter. And um, I don't know if it was Sonia or someone else that said, oh, you know, BBC had brought out this thing and they didn't have a, <laughs> didn't have a high opinion of it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, as soon as I started watching it, I immediately recognised that it was very similar to the the road trip ones they did. Oh yes, about ten years ago they did the nine eleven road trip and seven seven road trip. And mm. on the nine eleven one, uh, if you remember Charlie Veach, mm. who I actually met a couple of times, he famously changed his mind and uh, <laughs> got himself absolutely hated in some sections of the alternative media. So as soon as I started watching it, I thought, oh blimey, they're doing the same thing again. I think I was following Sonia anyway, and I sent her the podcast I made because I made a podcast very quickly because I'll give them credit. They did motivate me to do what I thought was a pretty good podcast because I was very passionate about just how clumsy the propaganda was, to be fair. <laughs> right. Yeah. So Sonia yeah. heard that, I think, and she said, oh, would you like to be on the show? And it was only about 15 minutes, unfortunately. We couldn't really get into anything big because also, I'm sure you've seen, she had a couple of the the more outspoken uh, housemates, if you want to call them that, from the show. She had them on her show, and they've mm-hmm. been doing the rounds of alternative media. So um, mm. I'd almost, I was almost glad that this was made, yeah. and let me explain why. I realise it's probably going to mislead a lot of people, because there are a lot of people who probably wouldn't think much of it, or they are very pro-vaccinations, and this is going to confirm their view on it. Mm. But also, I think, as I said, the propaganda was, yeah, I'm going to use the word clumsy, that it's surely going to alert more people to this. So, um, yeah, that's how it came about. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting you say about confirming people's views, because actually that's what I think the function of this whole quote-unquote documentary is about. Because, you know, at the end of the period at which the housemates were there having this conversation uh, with the various experts, uh, they don't really change their minds, do they? Some of them become a little bit more malleable and say, well, you know, maybe. uh, But they don't really change their minds. And I thought, well, actually, that's probably going to be the effect that this documentary has 
I'll call it documentary, on the general population, really. Who is really going to change their minds as a consequence of this? Probably very, very few people. And so I'm thinking maybe that's not the function of it at all. Maybe it is to confirm opinions, to uphold the narrative, part of the, as it were, damage limitation exercise that's ongoing. That's my view of it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I was I was surprised, you know, when they do make these reality shows, and this is a fact, and I know this from Big Brother and uh, Darren Brown as well, he, he's made shows, and they pick malleable people generally. So I thought they would have had a very malleable person who probably would have changed their mind. So fair enough, nobody did. Hmm. Surprised me a little bit, but, you know, fair enough. Yeah, and there were some very strong characters in there, weren't there, actually? Mm. Um, having watched it twice now, I really got to like all of them, you know, very particularly the outspoken ones. And, um, mm. well, and Nazarene came across extremely well. She's very calm, wasn't she, and collected, mm. but you knew that she had looked at a lot of research material and she was very quietly and confidently stating her opinions, although apparently according... And I don't know who has actually said this, but there is a... There is a comment that I've got in front of me from one of the housemates uh, complaining hotly that they were edited unfairly. Mm. Um, And I think more than one of them has said this. So we don't really get a fully orbed view of these housemates, but I was impressed with them on the whole. Mm. Let's just um, do a few bits and pieces here. So it was introduced by Professor Hannah Fry, who I believe is Mm. a mathematician. Yes. Well, it was introduced as an eye-opening investigation mm-hmm. um, and a documentary. Mm-hmm. And she said that she wanted to know why these people had not been, quote-unquote, vaccinated, COVID-19 vaccinated, um, and if anything could change their minds. So you had these strangers, she called them, seven strangers to share a house for several days. Mm-hmm. And they were going to look at the latest science, mm-hmm. and they were going to meet the experts and she asked, will any of them you know, get the vaccine at the end of it? So, But I mean, the whole way this was set up, I'm sure you agree, was that it was the experts versus the ordinary people, wasn't it? Mm. I thought, well, that was a bit unfair to start with, because where were representatives of the medical profession who themselves had been unhappy to take this particular medication there wasn't was there <laughs> you know? um, yeah, and yeah, i don't yeah. really know what everybody what everybody's occupation or or background mm. was they just you know was there anybody there with any scientific training mm. do you see what i mean i mean there may well have been and some of them mm. came across as highly intelligent but there was that kind of imbalance wasn't there in the way it was set up yes i think there was really two things going on you're absolutely right i think people are learning that you know experts can be very much hand-picked Mm. And if you look at almost any issue where you've got academics, you could pick three or four academics on one side and three or four on the other. And I'm sure they'd all have what appears to be very good evidence. Mm. So there's a handpicking of experts. But I think really even more important than that is this phrase I've been using, the propaganda of presumption, Mm. in that the whole framing of the show is can we persuade these people to take the vaccine rather than is the vaccine safe? And yes, that, you're absolutely right. So that is the presumption, isn't it? It is safe and it is effective. Mm. That's never really given a... Well, some of them we know do question that, but mm. their questions never really surface in a way that would challenge any of that seriously. Well, no, there is one point where Vicky, who's the one... Mm. Basically, Vicky and Nazarene are the ones who've been appearing on shows, and Vicky is the much more 
outspoken. Mm. And she actually says to Hannah Fry at one point, oh, do you think there's any chance you'll change your mind? Yes, so And she that's does. just kind of, everything in this show because goes very quickly because it's a sort of slick, you know, one-hour presentation of five days. I mean, another question I had, did they literally live together for five days or, you know, were they were they slipping off home in the evenings? Because <laughs> five <laughs> days seems a long time to spend together. It was. But, you know, mm, it wasn't clear, was it? No. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yes, it wasn't clear. I, it crossed my mind too and that was never really answered, no. Yeah. But the, the framing, I think, is crucially important because mm. everything that happens within that is almost immaterial if the original conceit, and it's said in the introduction, you know, Hannah Fry says, oh, you know, there are however many people not vaccinated. And essentially it's like, at the end of five days, can we change their mind? And mm. the entertainment for the, say, the mainstream viewers, you know, the <laughs> tension is, will they change their yeah. mind or not? But it's all framed within that. Yes. But we, we'd be a bit naive to think that it wasn't going to be like that. So, Oh, sure. Yeah. You say? Oh, well, indeed. Oh, totally. Yes, I, I went into this expecting that it would be like that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I have to say, I, I like her. She comes over really pleasant with them. Um, she's a very good presenter. Yeah. Um, she seems to be very empathetic. She's a good-looking lady. Yeah. And I think this is one of the propaganda techniques, really, isn't it? We are invited very much to see things from her point of view because she takes us as the viewer into her confidence, doesn't she? Many times throughout the show, you you see her on a park bench and then you see her on a sofa and you see her yeah. standing in front of the camera, but not looking directly at the camera, but just to the side as if she's talking to one of the production crew and you as a member of the audience are, as it were, part of that crew as well, you know? Mm. <laughs> and there, there, was, there was one particular moment I, I noticed when she was talking almost perpendicular to the camera to what appeared to be an, an implied semicircle of production crew. And it was as if we were just on the edge of that semicircle. We were still being addressed as if we were in on the production. And that perception was, for me, very clearly placed in stone very near the beginning. You may have picked up on this as well. When we saw just a segment of her face profile and we saw her eye. Mm. Did you pick up on that? No, we no, saw her eye. Oh, yes, yes. This profile with her eye, just about three seconds, probably just to say, we are seeing through her eye. And I thought that was quite cleverly done. But, you know, there was clearly an agenda there with that, mm. that technique. And I, what I wonder about this is, obviously, the way it was edited is in the same vein. Mm. And I wonder to what extent Hannah Fry herself realized that there would be a distortion of the views of those who took place. Now, the BBC itself says there was no distortion. I've got a quote from them to say that's the case. But we know we know that some of the housemates do think they were unfairly uh, represented. Yeah. Um, but I, I do wonder to what extent she really had any control over how it was, was edited, you know. So I'm letting her off the hook a little. I mean, I let off, off the hook a bit as well, because, again, it would be very naive to think that she would even be able to, even if she didn't believe in vaccines, that she would be able to say that. And... Um, I have actually had a bit of contact with a couple of the housemates. Um, mm. It's so funny calling them housemates because it makes you think of Big Brother, doesn't it? <laughs> that's right. I wonder if that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's sort of reality yes. in inverted commas. Yeah. Ah, absolutely. Um, mm. Yeah, I've had a bit of contact with um, Luca, who's the, you know, was the conspiracy theorist. Yes. <laughs> the guy who lives mm. on his own. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he lives on his own in Tunbridge Wells. And uh, a fellow called Ethan, and he was the one, uh, another young guy, I think he's only about 22. Yeah. He was worried about fertility. And he made a statement towards the end, something along the lines of, well, Pfizer gives me paracetamol for a headache. So if I accept that, then I've got to accept their vaccines, which is, yeah, I say it's a totally outrageous comment. Exactly. But when I 
when I put the podcast out, I wasn't in contact with him and he actually posted on Twitter and said, I like your podcast, but that thing I said was completely misrepresented because I was talking about recreational drugs versus pharmaceutical because his, his line was, you can't pick and choose. Yes, exactly. Yeah. To hear it from him, I mean, that obviously I'm taking it at his word, but Indeed. he wouldn't have any reason not to tell the truth about that. But So as far as he's concerned, he was not talking about these vaccine quote-unquote products he was talking about some other product yeah i can't he didn't explain exactly but he was okay saying something between recreational and pharmaceutical drugs Mm. but it was framed as or edited as if you accept paracetamol from pfizer then you've got to accept the vaccine from pfizer which i mean i don't know whether anyone would believe that but presumably there would be some people who would so (laughs) that's crazy well i I picked up on it and i thought that he was being illogical Mm. but by the sound of it he wasn't that could be indeed the editing that gave that impression as you say it was you can't he said you can't pick and choose and i thought yeah you can yes you can pick and choose not not all products are the same you know yeah i felt bad because um he was very nice about it but i felt a bit bad that i was criticizing for that because now sure you know but when you make a podcast although i'm not obviously not a professional journalist but making a podcast you've got to make uh, some sort of comments haven't you you're not gonna Mm. you're gonna you might upset a couple of people and i said you know vicky vicky was maybe i don't know maybe a bit too forthright because again it was edited like you know she's really proud of being a rebel it Mm. played into this thing about conspiracy theories as something you grow out of which uh Funnily enough, that guy, Ricky Green, you know, that guy I had a debate, sort of a debate with a few months ago, mm. the one who worked with Karen Douglas. Right. He sort of said, oh, yeah, I used to believe in conspiracy theories at college, and then I sort of grew out of it. I <laughs> suggested what he said. Right, right. You know, but it was, a, it was an improvement. They didn't use mm. the trick of having the conspiracy theorists, you know, in a darkened room and everyone else out <laughs> in the open. That was something they did on, uh, I think it was the Conspiracy Files years ago. Right, yeah. They pulled that trick, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was clear that Vicky was used as a counterpoint to Hannah Fry, whereas Hannah it was obviously mm. very rational all the time, but caring. Mm. And Vicky was caring, but was, I think, portrayed as being far less rational because mm. she did get, as she said, I'm frustrated and I'm leaving the room. But I don't know how that was edited as well, because, of course, it cuts back to Hannah Fry looking all sort of calm and disappointed that that's happened and mm. you never know do you what's gone on there i mean i don't know whose tweet this is but uh this purports to be from one of the housemates um and i won't quote it verbatim just because of my language policy here at the mind renewed okay uh, quote um they have completely something it uh, there were six days of filming that six days of real debating of sharing both sides reasons for choosing to get it or not sharing statistics from both sides sharing science from both sides having scientists and doctors come into the house to try to brainwash us into changing our minds still after all the coercion no one chose to take it in the end so that says a lot yet they seem to have mostly included the small moments where people slipped up out of the entire six days of proper debating uh, there were times when hannah slipped up too but i can guarantee they won't be in there no they won't to be in there okay that's interesting so um i don't know at what point this was written anyway it does it does indicate that at least one of them was not very happy at all because as you say nazarin and vicky have Mm. both been together haven't they on various shows expressing deep concern about the way Mm. their opinions were represented although i'm going to say just Mm. for the sake of this and this comes from gb news um so this is a bbc spokesperson you really uh this one uh, a documentary accurately represents the views expressed during filming and adheres to the bbc's strict editorial guidelines especially with regards to accuracy and fairness yeah there we are 
Like I, I might read that several times. <laughs> like I say, it just sort of sounds like, I think I said on my podcast, it sounds like it's just a corporation with a huge ego that's just not going to back down. Yeah. And I understand, you know, because I, I have a friend who was actually the head of um, BBC uh, Merseyside. And he said to me, yes, but they're not going to back down. And, you know, we kind of know that, don't we? We, we know mm. that's not going to happen. Mm. And um, I think... Uh, if you take, you know, let's call it the mainstream conspiracy continuum, I'm finding more and more I'm somewhere in the middle. I mean, I guess most people are somewhere in the middle. But um, if you look at that GB News interview, you know, that's not really objective either. They've got them on there mm. to criticise. And even though the criticisms are valid, I'm finding myself more and more sort of looking at the two camps and finding myself almost outside of both of them. And it's yeah. it's interesting. Um, I have a meetup group here in my in my hometown and um in a few days we're actually going to be talking about conspiracy theories and um what normally happens is that someone who is very much against them will tell you that you're paranoid and then someone who's very much into them will tell the other people that they're naive the, mm. so the fact they use the word brainwashing again i yeah. think that's going to put certain people off mm. because that's almost a trope isn't it you know oh brainwashed mm. by the mainstream media you know mm. So, you know, there is a middle ground, and I think yeah, both of us yeah. maybe are trying to occupy that. I, th I think that's right. Yeah. Of course, mm. I haven't mentioned it, but I did mention it before in one of the TMR productions that you're on, is that you are double vaccinated, aren't you, Yes. Uh, for COVID-19? And I'm not at all, so we are mm. either side of this divide, in the middle somewhere. Um, mm. But, yeah, I agree with you. I Obviously, I'm, I won't use the word hesitant because, as I've said many times before, that implies something negative. I'm cautious, and I'm more than cautious now. I'm quite happy to leave it alone. Thank you very much. As time goes on, I'm even less inclined towards it. But I'm certainly not at the far end of this concern about the vaccines. I've read many things about it, but you know, I can't just take on board some of the the more vivid concerns because I, you know, I think time will tell. Um, yeah. So many people will say that this is definitely a depopulation exercise. Well, looking at it at the moment, I can't possibly comment on that. Um, I am aware that there are people in positions of power who would like to see you know depopulation of those underneath them um but to say that this is actually what's going on i think is to call that far too quickly i don't currently believe that's the case although you see and i will listen to somebody like dr ryan cole over in the states who mentions many many concerns about what the long-term effects of these products might be um looking at mm. both preprints and peer-reviewed uh, research that's been done that draws attention and concern to various aspects of what these products might do long term he's very worried about this so i i look at what he says and people like him and i i think okay although i'm somewhere in the middle i am cognizant of these kinds of concerns um mm. so i think that puts us both roughly in the middle doesn't it but um yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah i think so <laughs> If I can make a broad point, mm. if nothing else, the last two and a half years, for someone like me who's very interested in psychology and the whole game of the media, I mean, it has been a fascinating time. Mm. I mean, obviously, it's been a terrible time for a lot of people. Yeah. But it's been, it's been fascinating. And one thing I've noticed, because I'm sure we talked about this before, but the news cycle now moves so quickly mm. that something that is considered a conspiracy theory, if you look six months or a year down the line, uh. it just gets accepted. 
But you see, people then forget that a year ago they thought it was crazy. Oh, if you yeah. take Facebook or something like that, social media, the idea that one of the functions of it is to take our data and use it. Most people would say more for their business, you know, as advertising rather than as some massive conspiracy. But that idea would have seemed very paranoid a couple of years ago. But when I talk to people in my meetup group, I mean, it's just accepted now. Yeah. So um, I think that's something we have to be very, very wary of. Yes. But with alternative media, yeah, I, I just get put off by people who just sound too certain. Mm, I totally because, agree. Yeah. Yeah. If you go yeah. to an alternative media show and they say, this is the truth, this is a conspiracy, microchips, da, da, da. Yeah. Aren't they kind of doing what they accuse the mainstream media of, which is very slickly delivering a message which is telling you this is the truth? Yes, and they. Yes, I I, I agree. And what they tend to do is to Mm. feed that idea that, oh, it's all misinformation on social media, which Mm. of course is nonsense because. Doctors, researchers, etc., will use social media as well. It's just, it's just anybody, isn't it, sharing messages? But we know this uh, propagandistic idea, which came out in this program several times, is that if it's on social media, you can't trust it. Whereas you yes. can trust, you know, these mainstream sources. Absolutely. Um, so yes, I'm very wary of that. But of course, if you want to be popular, that's the way to go, isn't it? But uh, yeah. I think both you and I are more interested in being cautious and truthful um, than we are in yeah. being popular. Um, yeah, I mean, I yeah. think I think your audience and my, you know, the Life and Life Only audience, you know, from the messages mm. I get, I think they do appreciate that. Mm. Yes, um, that's true. Obviously, you have to wonder, you know, if we were doing this for a living, <laughs> yeah, you know, well. uh, again, would it change? Because then it, there's a lot more at stake. You know, I think we're both in quite a nice position where, mm. you know, maybe we get a bit of pocket money from this, but... <laughs> You know, we don't have to take a, a position and say that we're certain of it. And, oh, yeah. I might just um, add that actually any money that comes into TMR goes back into TMR expenditures. Just make that absolutely clear. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, right. Yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah. I've said many times the vaccine because, of course, that's what this program does over and over again. And in fact, it, it doesn't even really differentiate between the different types of COVID-19 vaccines, just the vaccine, which I think is a sort of propaganda thing in itself. Um, But I noticed how they conflated the vaccines of the past, the ones that we're used to with these modern products. Whereas we know, you know, with the mRNA products, it's a different technology. Um, And indeed, the definition of vaccine was changed, which is a well-known fact. Um, I think it was beginning of 2021, you know, to a um, accommodate this. Um, and there was a little section, wasn't there, about the anti-vax protesters, of course they were called that, mm. and it was said how, you know, these protests are nothing new. There were protests back in the day when these, when vaccines first came out and all that, the function of that, as far as I was concerned, really, was this conflation of the past and the present, yeah. which, you know, is just completely off, really, because if you are taking something new, yeah. just to call it by the same name, clouds the issues, doesn't it, for people? I see that as being a deliberate clouding of the issues. Oh, definitely. I mean, I mentioned this on my podcast, you know, this has got, well, I wouldn't say nothing to do, but not much to do with the vaccine for polio or cholera. Mm. And mm. I don't know, it just beggars belief. I, I listen to lots of podcasts on different things, and I was listening to two guys on a music podcast, and they're so intelligent. I've listened to them for years. But they were, I think they mentioned, I think it was Eric Clapton they mentioned, or someone. They said anti-vax, and then every time they brought up his name, they had to keep mentioning that it was anti-vax. Yeah. But it's just this idea of only having two positions. Yeah. It, it just beggars belief. Yeah. You know? 
Oh, yeah. And, and had they not called this a vaccine, mm. you know, had they said, oh, well, this is a substantially new mm. product here, a new technology. So we can't call it vaccine. Let's call it um, an injectable therapy, whatever. Yeah. If people then objected to that and said, well, no, this is new. We don't trust this. They couldn't then have called them anti-vax, could they? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing would have changed, just the terminology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, to give them credit, they didn't use... Again, when I was started watching it, in my mind, I was kind of predicting. I didn't want to preempt too much, but mm. you know, they didn't actually use the phrase conspiracy theory as much, and no. they didn't really use anti-vax much. No, so, that's true. Uh, I'll give them a bit of credit. It wasn't that bad. And um, mm. Mm. a couple of the guys said about Hannah Fry, because I did ask them about that. They said, yeah, she was pretty open, but mm. I think in the back of her mind, she believes in vaccines. But yes. one thing is that she said that Vicky and Nazarene, because they had bad experiences, that was going to cloud their judgment. But my answer to that would be, well, you know, Hannah Fry just had cervical cancer. Mm. And let me say, I'm very, very happy that she got over it. Yeah. You know, I don't have any Absolutely. really negative feelings towards her. Absolutely. Yeah. But couldn't someone turn that back on her and say, well, has that perhaps given you a little bit too much faith in the, the medical industry? Which is understandable. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but mm. it's just this whole framing of, and they, they kept having these bits. And I think this was editing as well. She's saying, I'm not trying to, you know, calm down, Vicky, calm down. I'm not trying to persuade you. It was all, it was all framed as if Vicky and Nazarene were paranoid. Mm. So it was just the framing and the editing. Yes. And of course, there was that stat at the beginning. I mean, this is just staggering. I haven't researched whether this is true, but Hannah Fry said the World Health Organization has uh, classified vaccine hesitancy as one of the top 10 risks to global health. Now, I don't know whether you've checked that stat. <laughs> I haven't, no, but I'm not sure there's any point because I right. don't know what to make of it anyway. I mean, right. the only thing I would make of that is, well, they would say that, wouldn't they, considering so much of their funding comes from Bill Gates and from Gavi, which itself is funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And yeah. So, yeah, they're going to say that anyway. So I don't know what whether that's particularly important anyway. Yeah. If they just made that stat up, they were serious risk of uh, trouble if that was found out. So we presume the World Health Organization has said that. And of course, it was right at the beginning of the documentary. It's sort of setting the audience up. It's, yeah. you know, if anyone, if anyone's listening to this and thinking, oh, these guys are a bit paranoid, mm. aren't they? They're looking at everything. <laughs> this is very, very, I was almost going to say sophisticated thing, but it's mm. uh, some of it's very clumsy, but, uh, <laughs> you know. Did you pick up on that thing about living alone in Tunbridge Wells? I guess you did, right? Oh, yes, this is with Luca, wasn't it? Oh, of course mm. I did, yes, yes. Uh, so he was the one who had several bans on social media mm. for sharing conspiracy theories, mm. and he was very concerned about 5G towers, uh, not just for themselves, but because he thought there was some connection with implants or something from these injectable products. Mm. And he thought that when these 5G towers are turned on, they're going to be, he says a lot of people are going to die. So he was rather on that, you know, the rather far out view on this kind of thing. And yes, he's the one who lived alone. Mm. Um, and it said a lot of his views come from Facebook and Twitter. Mm. <laughs> yeah, not very subtle. Yeah. He very much represented the typical conspiracy theorist. Definitely. But, but not everybody was tarred with that same brush, but it obviously did colour things a little. Mm. Did you like uh, the mute guy? <laughs> Um, we didn't hear from him for the whole show. What is this, Mark, the care worker? <laughs> no, we did. We did hear a little from him. Yeah, oh, we did at the end. So yeah, he was called Mark. He he, he was yeah, concerned, yeah. wasn't he, about the right to choose because, of course, his industry had been so affected by compulsion, um, mm. and he worked in that for thirty five years. Mm. Um, yeah, he he came across as as reasonable but quiet, didn't he? 
No, I mean, I'm, I'm being a bit sarcastic because I'm pretty sure, having watched it again, I don't think we heard from him at all until the very end. Yeah. I don't think we did, but I'd, I'd quite like to hear from him, actually. I might try and uh, see if I can contact him. Yeah, do. But uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Transactional Analysis. It's quite a good book called Games People Play. It's a sort of, well, it was a very popular psychology book from the 60s or 70s, Dr. Eric Byrne. But it was the idea of the parent, adult, and the child, in that if you think of... Um, interactions as quote transactions so a boss to a worker for example a lot of boss will adopt a parent to child oh yeah so sort of talking down to them in that way yes and hannah fry was definitely doing a bit of that she was the sort of parent to the sort of teenage vicky you know mm. and vicky's actually 43 years old so <laughs> not right. a teenager but yeah. it was uh, that kind of thing so that, i was picking yes. up on that as well but she did give them mm. i think she gave them a fair hearing um, I think she did. Whether the editing did is another matter. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree that she was, yeah, she came over as a little patronising towards mm. them. And certainly during the jelly bean thing, oh, yes. uh, which we'll come to in a bit, um, that was very much like a sort of primary school exercise, wasn't it? Um, yes. and, and being jelly beans as well, <laughs> you know, not just the concept of having a lot of things representing the probability, the very, very, very simple probability of one in 33,000. But the very fact that it was jelly beans as well, it was like, oh, look, lots of colours on the table for everybody to play with, you know, yeah. was a bit patronising both to them and to all of us as well. Definitely. Um, but she did it so nicely. Yeah, she's a very nice lady yeah. <laughs> on all that. Um, yeah. Going back to your point well, um, about the statistic that was given at the beginning about the number of people vaccinated uh, or uh, unvaccinated, um, what was it said that it was 8% or something like that, was it? 4 million adults, something mm, like that. I can't, can't remember. Yeah. Again, they didn't differentiate between people who've had no vaccinations yes. and people who, like me who've had two but had no intention of having further boosters. This is a point that's made by Professor Norman Fenton with regard to a statistic that's brought out by a doctor at one of the hospitals towards the end where he said that, uh, is it 20 out of 21 people in ICU in his experience at a particular point during the so-called pandemic um, were unvaccinated. Mm. Um, whereas Norman Fenton said, what does that mean? That seemed like an outlier of a statistic as far as he was concerned. And he wondered whether that might actually have meant unvaccinated might have been a way of saying not fully vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? That, that He speculates that the case because he thinks statistically that was such an outlier, something odd was going on there. Mm. Um, and he also says that, you know, there, there are a lot of people now, a lot of people now who are vaccinated, who are getting this. Yeah. Uh, so it's not not nearly so straightforward as that would seem. But when you just watch that statistic and the doctor very confidently saying that, it does make you think, oh, well, you know, well, perhaps I'm wrong about this. But I do wonder whether there was something, as Professor Fenton intimates, something a little odd going on there. Yeah. Mm. Can we mention that tweet that he's got up on his page? Uh, yes. Because it's really classic. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. It's someone saying, um, I'm triple vaccinated. And I've had COVID for the last two or three weeks. It's, and they go through, oh, I've had fevers. It's been really awful. Imagine how bad it would have been if I hadn't been triple vaccinated. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, that's, he's yes. ch okay, he's cherry picking that a bit. But I wonder how many people oh. think like that, you know. It must be a lot because I've heard. I don't know. Do no, I know. But I've heard it so many times, both from people in my own social contacts and, of course, online. But I think that's very widespread, that idea. As it makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you actually do believe that this has been good for you, then if you come down with COVID, you're going to think, oh, good job I had it then, because it was good for me. <laughs> so I think it must represent a lot of people. Now, that's very anecdotal, but I, th I think that's probably true. 
Well, it's a problem of cause and effect, you know. This is something, again, that Norman Fenton brings up, uh, because the BBC did its own survey for this programme, and they surveyed 2,500 people, and it was just like, just said it in passing, oh, 600 of those people were unvaccinated. Yeah. And that's like just under a quarter. Mm. That's not 8%, is it, the population? No. So if, if that's representative, then it does suggest that perhaps even that official statistic is a little bit off, yeah. at least a little bit off. Mm. Yeah. Did you notice Hannah Fry said lots of things which are true, but I didn't agree with them in the context she was saying them. She, she, mm. You know, if you took those lines on their own, they're very true. Like she talks about causation versus correlation, which in certain cases definitely. Yes. She said something about this is all about having faith, and a couple of other things she said, and I thought, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yes. It's just being framed in in a particular way. Oh yeah, it's all about trust, isn't she? She said that it yeah. all boils down to trust. Yeah. and who to trust. And I, I did think, well, actually, if you take this supposed documentary as a whole, this is a, a really good example of why you shouldn't trust <laughs> the establishment because they're clearly being disingenuous in your face. Why then should you trust them when they say, oh, this is safe and effective? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're not safe and effective, although I personally tend to think that they're not particularly safe or effective, but this gives no reason to believe that that's the case, does it? Yeah. Just the way it's, the whole thing was put together. Yeah, she said something... Yeah. She said either information is power or knowledge is power. And I mean, who can argue with that? (laughs) Of course (laughs) it is. Yes, yes. But uh, I think the most patronising thing she said is um, people are affected by stories. And again, in isolation, of course they're affected. But she said something about, oh, you know, but people get very emotional. We need, Mm. you know, cold, hard facts. That wasn't her phrase, but something along those lines. And we need objective. We need experts. She said, uh, that's what science and data and statistics are for, to say you can Mm. step outside of the emotion (laughs) and the story. And I thought there wasn't any sense of irony in her voice at all. And yet she was there embedded within a narrative which itself was a story yeah yeah (laughs) you know this program wasn't about data and statistics and science it was very much about telling a story so it was a completely ironic comment that she made there yeah quite embarrassingly so delicious (laughs) it was beautiful wasn't it (laughs) yes it's almost like they're characters aren't they really rather these kind of programs they turn real people into characters you know, mm. they're characters in this story, as we're saying, mm. about mm. Uh, will these people see the light? And, yes. you know, there's all this stuff about uh, Hannah said to one of the experts at the beginning, are, are we setting ourselves up for a fall? I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Are you going to get lynched by the housemates at the end of it? I didn't see what was <laughs> uh, going to happen there. Well, I think the function <laughs> of that was to say, you know, if, if I'm setting myself up for a fall, then it must mean that I'm presenting myself in such an open and vulnerable way mm. that the other view could perhaps, you know, win out. Mm. Well, that wasn't, she may have been personally, but the program as a whole was not at all vulnerable to any alternative view, was it? <laughs> so there's no way the program as a whole was going to fall, yeah. except by perhaps overdoing it and, and failing because it was just so obvious. Yeah. But uh, just to go back to, sure. just go back to one of the previous road trips, because it involves a, a former guest of yours, Tom Secker. Yeah. Um, when they had the 7-7 road trip, he did a podcast um, with someone and he was saying, oh, I was contacted mm. for that. And I said, um, oh, I've got two conditions. Uh, I'd like you to talk to these experts. These are my experts. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing he said, I want to run a camera the whole time. And obviously they said, no, yeah, I'm not going to have that. Mm. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was about the um, jelly beans. Uh, in the 9-11 one, they used Lego. 
didn't they? Do you remember that? <laughs> no. Yeah, to to show how the how the towers had fallen, uh, and <laughs> it was just bizarre. <laughs> it was just funny having these callbacks because I remember those programs. They're kind of a bit more open minded now, just slightly, but. I think that's a measure of the fact that if it was quite as blatant as those road trips and the conspiracy files, perhaps people would have turned on them. And I, I think mm. they kind of have, in a way, from what I've been reading. Mm. Did you read The Guardian and The Telegraph um, reviews? I did, yes. They were opposite of each other, weren't they? The Guardian was as you would expect it to be. But The Telegraph was quite cutting, wasn't it, against what had been produced? Yes. The journalist said I was, I'm triple fact, so it wasn't actually mm. uh, against the vaccines, but it did point out how patronising it was. So, mm. you know, that's progress, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree, yeah. Um, yeah. Good job I didn't just read The Guardian one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you say about these experts. Um, what do you think of these experts then? They, they all, well, certainly Norman Fenton has complained that a, a couple of them have conflicts of interest, which was not mm. mentioned, of course, in the programme. Mm. Um, the very first expert we had was um, from the Vaccine Confidence Project. Oh, I like this one. Working with the World Health Organisation, um, yeah. pioneering research into the causes of vaccine confidence issues yeah well she was a great one to bring on wasn't she because they started talking about you know what do we need to do how can we tailor our message to get people to accept you know yes <laughs> there we are that was the first expert they spoke to mm. um but then there were others weren't there there was expert number two this dr aurora she works with the british medical association to promote the vaccines yes online so that's where she was coming from. Um, and then we have this Professor Adam Finn, who's expert number three at Bristol University. And although he himself is not receiving funds from Pfizer, he is the head of an institute or something. I've got it here. Um, Pfizer's Vaccine Centre of Excellence launches at the University of Bristol. Yes. Uh, and it, yeah. it, that is the institute, the centre, has an initial investment of £4.6 million from <laughs> Pfizer. All right, so now he was presented as, and he called himself a buffer between the public yeah. and the pharmaceutical industry. And yeah. what kind of buffer is working on a project that receives £4.6 million from the industry that he's supposed to be? Mm. Well, I'm sure he believes he is acting as a buffer, but it's not good enough, at least not good enough to fail to mention it in the programme. Yeah, but this is this is weird, though, because, like I said, I mean, alternative media leapt on that thing. But didn't he say that AstraZeneca are giving the vaccines away very cheaply, so they're not making a profit or they're not making much profit? But he said Pfizer were cashing in. That's right. And you'd almost think he would have said the opposite. He said Pfizer were cashing in. Yes, he did. And Moderna, yeah. I think it was, he said, wasn't it? But then he said, but capitalism was the way we've sort of all agreed to go. Yeah, <laughs> 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 we made that agreement, yeah. Oh. This is another thing. Again, I made, <laughs> I, I'm sorry to make a point that I've already yeah. made in my podcast. No, no, do. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing of capitalism, mm. what happens is if you go against capitalism, people will bring up socialism, yeah. uh, fascism and communism. Right. Again, it's that simple. Mm. And I've had this. You know, I've had, I'm sure you have as well, I've had experience of this. Uh, I would recommend, if anyone thinks capitalism is wonderful and there's no argument, watch uh, or read The Shock Doctrine. Have you ever come across that by Naomi Klein? No, I haven't read that, no. Are you aware of it? I'm aware of it, yeah. Yeah, there's a documentary as well for people that don't want to read the whole book because it, it's mm. quite a long book. And it's uh, about disaster capitalism. And I think you made the point on one of our previous that 
you don't like the idea of just sort of tarring capitalism with a particular brush because you have to differentiate a little bit absolutely between you know crony capitalism and disaster capitalism uh, yeah well a couple of things immediately come to my mind is is this disaster capitalism in the sense that you know i believe that the uh, early treatments could have made a significant impact on quelling this so-called pandemic, especially if you connect it with the, you know, the Great Barrington approach of protecting people, etc. So was that pushed to the side because a lot of money could have been made out of the disaster? And uh, to what extent is this capitalism when you have a product that has immunity from prosecution if it causes injuries? That's not part of the capitalist model, is it? That's something corporate fascist, isn't it, for sure? Yeah, definitely. I call it high-level capitalism. When you're talking about serious amounts of money that's very different to you know someone running a corner shop or something you know (laughs) Um, (laughs) totally and of course uh just a blanket recommendation for the corporation which i know we're both fans of we just did a podcast about it on life and my family it's Mm -hmm. quite old now it's 2003 they did do a sequel but i think the fundamental things haven't really changed in that it's a money-making machine Mm. this is the thing that perhaps people maybe they understand it maybe they don't is that when a, when a corporation or a big business acts in what we might consider an evil or a, a heartless way, mm. it's not really about the people in it. No. That's why I wouldn't turn on these experts necessarily. I, I don't know. You know no. We know a little bit about them, but we don't know how much they were briefed. Uh, but yeah. I thought it was interesting that he, he did let it slip. He said, oh, you know, Pfizer have been cashing in. So there's a bit of an admission. Yeah, yeah I'm not really uh, yeah. having a go at these individuals themselves. It's the way it was all put together. We should have been told, mm. shouldn't we? As the audience, we should have been told about these conflicts of interest. Yeah. I think that's Norman Fenton's position on that as well. Yeah, that's right. And I noticed another thing. Again, this is the way it was crafted, is that concern was brought up about the you know, the safety of these products, and Pfizer was brought up with respect to that. Okay, to how, do, how do we know it's safe? And they were produced quickly, etc. And then I noticed that, well, who knows what was actually said? We have reason to believe there are a lot of things that were said that were omitted. Maybe somebody brought up the history of a company like Pfizer and all the litigation against it over the years, which is really substantial, such that I don't particularly trust that corporation. Um, but I noticed how there was no mention of that. Uh, instead, it went straight to talking about these nine pages of associated uh, adverse events to do with their injectable product. And I thought, well, is that a diversion there? Did somebody talk about wider issues to do with trusting the pharmaceutical corporations? Or has it all been sort of funneled into just this concern about this massive list? So then she could go on to talk about, oh, but these things are not uh, necessarily as a consequence of the vaccine, so-called vaccine. Um, They are just associated, you know, it could have just be coincidence. And and I felt like many of the concerns that might have been actually stated at the time were yeah. possibly ignored and funneled into this particular mm. narrative, which led on to, I think that led on to the, the talk about the injection in the GP surgery, wasn't it? Where the, the, the GP answers the phone. That was, that was completely bizarre. Yeah. Yes. If I got it right, it was something about a child is having a fit and it's supposedly just after they get the vaccine. But in fact, the phone rang. And they didn't get the vaccine, and then the child had a fit. And it's like, what? That's right. It was a, an MMR. Was They chose MMR, I noticed. Um, and the GP was just about to give the injection, and the phone rang. And there was this business about 50-50, whether the GP would pick the phone up or not. Yeah. I wonder why they, why they did that. Does it sort of introduce the idea that it's a 
I don't know what the 50-50 was about. Yeah. I suppose there is just, do you answer the phone or do you not answer the phone? Yeah. Um, so the idea would be then, so if they did answer the phone, then they wouldn't have given the vaccine. Or if they didn't answer the phone, they would have given the vaccine. And in either case, this child would have fitted. So had the vaccine actually been given at that moment, then both the parents and the doctor thereafter would have been convinced that the fit had something to do with the giving of that vaccine. Mm. Whereas in the anecdote, it's already been set up so that we know it doesn't have anything to do with the vaccine. Oh, sure. But I wondered about that mm. because if you gave a, a vaccination to a child and they immediately had a fit. Now, I'm not a GP, but imagining myself into that situation, I'm not sure that I would think that that had to do with the actual product that had been injected into that child's body because there wouldn't have been time for that to happen, would there? Mm. You know, if it happened half an hour afterwards, I might think, oh, gosh, maybe. So I'm not sure... That- It quite worked. But the other thing is, um, you know, if you didn't know beforehand, as in this little story, uh, that the child was going to have a fit anyway, so you give the vaccine and then the child, let's say, 20 minutes later has a fit or whatever, surely it would actually be quite rational to suspect that it did have something to do with the vaccine. Mm. And I understand as far as yellow card reporting is concerned, the default should be that you assume that it, it might have, you know, until shown otherwise, you know. I think you're supposed to err on the side of thinking there is not that it proves anything mm. but err on the side of yes there could possibly be causation here not to say oh well you know or an implied oh because you can't prove anything there's nothing to worry about which is what seemed yeah, to be where things were heading with this isn't that just like a very very random very isolated example that's the thing it seemed like she was just explaining to a child yeah, yeah. something that seems very i mean okay i understand that could definitely happen but Hmm. Isn't that just a random example? I suppose, yeah, it's just to illustrate how a misunderstanding can happen. We all know that a misunderstanding can happen. That's what I mean. And then she she said at one point, uh, you you need to have data, you know, long-term data to see if there are any more uh, injuries take place than than would have taken place had the vaccine not been given. So, yeah, we we all know that as well. but, But then that assumes that you can trust that the medical establishment is going to do that in such a transparent way that we're ever going to get hold of those real results, you know. It's, I don't know. Um, I think we all have grounds to be suspicious that they're not going to be fair about that. Mm. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that I think is that when these anecdotes mount, and you keep on and on hearing about people, um, I can't say it's not caused by, but in association with, um, you have these uh, injuries and possibly deaths, that I think it's reasonable for us to suspect it might have something to do with that mm. not just to say oh you can't prove it yeah um she seems to be just making a really really simplistic point mm. almost to explain to them what what a misunderstanding was <laughs> as if they didn't know what it was or something yeah it's yeah. very bizarre I, I wasn't so much mm. picking apart the example although you're, you're right you know but the vaccine calls a fit instantly i'm not sure about that at all mm. but yeah it's just a bit strange um, yeah, there was an example of this with Nazarene where mm. Hannah Fry was talking to her, they both sat on a sofa or something, and um, I think at the beginning of that little conversation, it was said that Nazarene had a number of friends and family members who believed themselves to have been injured by one of the injections. Um, but it didn't. they didn't then talk about all these people. They talked about one case of somebody she'd met through social media who had been very badly damaged by something. Um, and there was a little picture of that person there in a bed, and they were all very sympathetic about this. And um, Hannah said to her, so this is a friend of yours, yes. you know. Um, did you know her before? No. 
said Nazarin. And then uh, Hannah said to her, but how, how, you know, how can you be sure this was caused by the vaccine? And then um, Nazarin gave various, you know, well, this is a you know healthy young person. Um, it's, it seems impossible that it will be. And then, and, then, and then Hannah said, but how can you know it was caused by? And it's always, this, it goes back to what you were saying about this default position of trust, this presumption that it's safe, you know, you've got to know that it's caused by before you have any grounds for suspicion. I'm not sure that's true. And especially in her case, well, we know there were a number of people in her family and other friends, but they they um, concentrated just on this one person who she met online, who she didn't know, she admitted she didn't know, to sort of weaken her position. Yes. Whereas actually she seems to have had multiple instances in her social sphere that caused her to be concerned about this. I thought that was all very unfairly handled. Yeah. Very unfair. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, yeah, if you take that one person that she didn't know them before. That is pretty important. But yeah, I think she said on these shows, there were three, I think, three people she knew. Mm. And, um, you know, again, I'm trying to be as fair as possible. Hannah Fry makes a point mm. that Nazarene probably meets more of those people in her activist circle. Yes, that's but, true. Again, my, my thing with that is, doesn't <laughs> Hannah Fry meet lots of people in the BBC offices? <laughs> yes, who, exactly. Whether they're hesitant or not, are not going to say it. Let's be honest. Mm. It's oh, just yeah. not going to happen. No. You know, it might be whispers here and there. I mean, I, when I was in London about 10 years ago, I had about, it's only about six months, but quite a concentrated period of being around activists and things. And um, we were outside the Guardian's office. I, d I don't know why they picked the Guardian. I wasn't in charge <laughs> of this group. So uh, anyway, as the journalists were coming for lunch, we were trying to talk to them, you know, about certain things. And one of them did say, you know, there's always whispers about certain things, but you know, you can lose your job if you say that, you know, especially something like 9-11, obviously, is being an extreme example. You're just going to lose your job. And, and I'm sort of going over old stuff from years ago, but uh, I think the same thing applies, really. Mm. Um, there, yeah, there will be whisperings, I'm sure, but no one's really going to come out and say that, you know. Mm. So, um, yeah. She, yeah she, yes, I'm sure she got, she lives within her own echo chamber. I yeah. think that's probably true. Yeah, mm. that's the thing. I mean, uh, we're all surrounded by echo chambers, really. Mm. Um, and this purported to break out of that, didn't it? Really listen to what mm. people said. And maybe that happened within the house, but that's not mm. that's not the impression we were given with the editing. No, no. And of course, it wasn't it wasn't set up for that either because you didn't have, you know, you could have had well Norman Fenton in there for just for example, or you could have had Tess Laurie in there, mm. or you could have had you know people like Doctor Malone, who's actually involved in developing the MNR, mRNA technology. In the first place, these people were not invited to take part. Why wasn't Tess Laurie? She's here in the UK. Yeah. Very eminent researcher, knows a lot about this. Why wasn't she brought in? Because she's very concerned about the safety of these products. That's it. Mm. You know, yeah. that's why she wasn't invited. But that would have been fairer. Yeah. I think the experts thing, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't surprised at all that that happened. But um, no, no. What about the housemates? With Big Brother, they have to send in an audition tape. I wonder how they chose them. Hmm. I wonder. Do you think there was any significance to the type of people they chose? Because they, they seemed quite normal and rational, didn't they? They did. They did. I am slightly suspicious that we, as I said before, that we didn't get anybody from the health industries, mm. except the care worker. Yes. But you wouldn't expect the standard care worker to know a lot, a lot about the intricacies of pharmacology. Mm. So why wasn't there at least one person who could have represented that, who themselves had decided not to be mm. injected 
because of their own concerns. They could have articulated their concerns just because of their training in a way that I think none of the others could. I mean, maybe, who knows, one of them's got a you know degree from LSE in economics or something. I've no idea. We weren't told, were we? Mm. <laughs> um, but that doesn't allow you, doesn't put you in a position to be able to talk about pharmacology or vaccinology or mm. virology or whatever. Why wasn't there somebody who themselves could have represented that but chosen not to be injected? Mm. There must be quite a lot of people like that you could have chosen. Yeah. I suppose, yeah, let's give them a little mm. bit of credit. I mean, they could have been much more selective. They could have got kind of a babbling conspiracy theorist. Mm. Yes, you could. I, I agree. It wasn't as bad as it could have been. That's true. Yes. Yeah. I do want to be fair. And I think I think with Luca, I've had a bit, I mean, I haven't had much contact, just a few DMs on Twitter and stuff. But, you know, they mentioned 5G, they mentioned depopulation, microchip. He did say he thought there was a microchip in the vaccine. And at the end, he said he didn't think there was. Mm. But they're bringing out all this stuff, 5G and everything. All those things, they need time spent on them. Hmm. I mean, nothing was really developed, you know? Yes, it sort of helped to dismiss any concerns anybody might have about 5G, I suppose. It helped to do that a little bit, mm. as it did about some any concerns people might have that we're perhaps not being told all the truth about the Ukraine war, which mm. is a bit odd. That was chucked in there with this fact-checking individual who came in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. That's yeah. interesting. What was his example mm. about... Uh, his favourite fact check. What was it? Wasn't it some photograph that had been taken that purported to be from the Ukraine war, but it was from somewhere else, in fact, from some other war, some other time. Is that right? No, there was the one before that. Okay. It was um, something about golf can reduce your risk of early death. Yes, that's And then right. he says, yes, uh, yes. it turns out that it's something like it's if you play golf, you may be uh, of a certain affluence or something like that. But... I'm just not sure why that's there. It just seems strange. And the, the Ukraine thing, I think, is more... That is the propaganda, you know, bringing that in. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. Oh, yes, the the war in Ukraine is a hoax. That was the meme he brought up. Yeah. And it showed, I think, a picture from a different war. And I thought, well, okay, but we know that the mainstream media has been caught out doing that sort of thing, mm. <laughs> using the wrong picture from, you know, from a different time. So it's hardly just alt media that does that sort of thing, or social media that does that. Mm. Yeah, he was uh, Will Moy from Full Fact, which is funded quite heavily by Facebook and Google and WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook, well, Meta as it's called now. Yes. So, yeah, yes. who who checks the fact checkers? <laughs> as they always say, who checks the fact checkers? Yeah. yeah this is a joke, isn't it? Who's watching the watchers? Yeah, yeah yes. Yeah, so Nazarene said, oh, this is totally irrelevant. Um, Which is true. <laughs> yeah. But again, it, it must be tough for them because, you know, this guy, Will, comes in. He seems like a nice guy. Mm. I don't think he's some terrible guy. So it must be hard. Mm. It's a bit hard. And I also made the point that um, there's a woman called Chanel, the one who has a baby at the end. Yes. Seems like a really lovely woman, but yeah. she kind of reflects this thing that if you get five people together, everyone, the general tendency would be for everyone to be upbeat and to be friendly. Mm. and so it is hard to sort of bring the mood down you know and i said yes. they kind of framed vicky and nazarene as these kind of party poopers almost you know because that's that's what it's like isn't it you know when you get people together mm. Mm. everyone generally wants yes. to be nice and everyone generally wants to be upbeat and be cheerful yes so True. when you're not like that you really do stand out and it takes a bit absolutely. of courage to do that absolutely the whole thing was set up like in adult education where you have the group who learn from each other and you have the facilitator mm. 
um, who really does actually control the whole thing in a very inobtrusive way. Mm. And that's what she was doing, really. And I noticed there were a number of times, I recognised the, the look on her face. People were squabbling gently within the group, mm. and then it would cut to a picture of Hannah there looking with a slight wry smile. And she was helping them to discuss this amongst themselves. Uh, yeah, there we are. It sets up that group dynamic where it is actually difficult to, mm. to say things that go outside of the group. Um, it did happen. Obviously, they did have disagreements, but um, yeah. pretty tricky, pretty tricky social situation. She's she's like a sort of liberal, progressive young parent. Yes. Dealing with yes. the, her errant teenagers, yes. you know, yes. trying to say, look, I'm a modern parent, you know, mm. I'm not trying to catch you out. Mm. I want to hear what you want to say. It's yes. all that. Yes, yes, yes. It was very kind of, it did make me chuckle at times, you know. But Yeah. Oh, what did you think about this? <laughs> you think about this weird thing that they threw in this nocebo effect. Now I have heard about this before, mm-hmm. but I thought that was a real red herring because you know, as I think Vicky said, you know, we're concerned about the serious side effects. Mm. We're concerned about myocarditis and death. She said, mm. and here you are talking about these minor side effects that could actually be psychosomatic. All right, so you in these trials which were brought up, you know, you can have um, a saline injection and but but you don't know because that's in the control group and, oh dear, you know, you feel you've got these side effects because you expect to get these side effects. So this is the nocebo effect. Mm. But I thought it was a red herring because, and it was taken out of the survey they did where I think she said 25% had expressed concern about minor side effects. Well, yeah, if you've got a survey and it says, are you concerned about minor side effects and you tick that box, then you're concerned, aren't you? But it was not central to people's concerns generally, but it was treated as if it was, as this was a, in fact, it was treated as a kind of gotcha moment. You know, she spoke to the camera about this nocebo effect and she sort of dropped her, mm. her head slightly and looked intently at the camera as if, wow, mm. gotcha, you know, and it was a total red herring, mm. as indeed Vicky said, we're not here to talk about this. What's this got to do with anything? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, again, it's all framed around, oh, you've got biases, but we haven't. It was definitely a lot of that, you know. Yeah. Going back to what I said earlier, it's like the BBC is a mm. corporation with a massive ego <laughs> that's mm. totally objective. Mm. You know, there's just no argument. No, know, there's that, no argument. That Hannah Fry might not have any biases or be, <laughs> you know, be influenced by stories. It's very, very strange. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. It was just, it was just totally objective. Just patri- it's just mostly patronising, really. Yeah. It's, that's what came yeah. across. Oh, go on. We haven't talked about we haven't talked about the jelly beans mm. much, have we? So we were going to talk about them a bit more. Go on. Mm. Uh, do, you, do you want to say anything more about these mm. these wretched jelly beans that were brought out? I mean, I could say something about the fact they could have spent that money better than getting thirty thousand jelly beans. Although we don't know what was in those sacks. But uh, joking aside, I think the jelly beans was a not very subtle idea that you know these people need to be patronized basically mm. you know it needs to be made simple but then they did this little trick of what was it 100 jelly beans first 20 jelly beans yeah oh, was it 20 yeah, yeah. and then one of the, they got one. for those who've not yeah so for people who've not seen it right so mm. one of the 20 jelly beans didn't taste very nice and she put them out on the table they all looked nice and pretty mm. and they all had one um, I can't remember who it was. Um, Chanel, it was Chanel. You're right, it was her. Yeah, she she said mm, this isn't very nice. Yeah. And so Hannah says, yeah, that was you were you were the unlucky one. You know, one in twenty. Yeah. And then she went and got all these sacks. You know, and she obviously didn't put them all on the table, but she put probably a few thousand on the table, didn't she? Yeah. And then it became one in thirty three thousand. Yeah. And I noticed that you know there was music and there were stairs, and it was as if you know Hannah just said something. You know, she said something emphatic about this represents very, very rare uh, myocarditis. Mm. And the way that was handled, you you heard this music and you saw all these silent stares as if they were all lost for words. 
Mm. I can't quite believe that that's what happened. Yeah. I can't believe that there wasn't 10 minutes of conversation edited out there. Oh, definitely. I mean, we, we know as podcast editors, mm. if we took a conversation we'd had, you can edit it to make it sound like oh, almost yeah. anything you want it to. No, maybe that's an exaggeration. Not almost anything, but not far. You, know? yeah, you could do. Yeah, you could get people to say the opposite of what they intended to say, for sure, by just cutting out some bit of context. No, but not cutting even- out half a sentence. You could do that. I've never done it, of course. No, but not, yeah. not even that. You just cut to a camera angle of someone having a particular expression on their face. Mm. Mm. And if people think that's too crude, I don't think it is at all. Oh, no. Talking about that guy, Ethan, about that thing that was taken out of context. Mm. You know, all you got to do, Hannah makes a statement and you, you just, out of the five days, it must have had hours and hours and hours of it. Yeah. You just get a shot of uh, Ethan or Luca or whoever it is frowning or smiling. Yes. You know, that's what newspapers do. Yeah, there were a number of times where, you know, some sort of factual information was put to one of the housemates and they said something like, yeah, I hear what you say, but I'm not going to change my mind. Yeah. And then it cuts back to Hannah looking almost disappointed, you know, what can I do now kind of expression. I've done everything I can. You know, but you don't actually know whether that was in the same conversation or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and I, I, you know, I really yeah. think it might be that crude as well. Mm. It's like in newspapers when they and there's a disgraced celebrity. Mm. They'll hang around outside their house, and when they come out, they'll take a hundred photos of them, mm. and then they'll just pick one where they look a bit yeah. guilty or something. Yes. It's just, yes. When you know, when you That's know right. what it is, I would urge your audience, and I'll promote this on my channels and my audience as well. Just look into this, because it's pretty fascinating as well. Mm. You know, there's so many ways of doing Absolutely. this. It's so silly. But. Yeah, somebody years ago, I think he was a Channel 4 cameraman, I think he was, and he created a video, and I think it was called TV Tricks of the Trade. Mm. It's very good. And it showed you some of these things. The one that just stuck in my mind was the, the use of the hands in an interview. So you're interviewing somebody, and then suddenly you as the viewer are watching somebody's hands, and it is the same person's hands, and then it cuts back to their face talking. And, of course, that's used because they've actually cut out a chunk of what that person has said. But you would see the face move. Mm. But by cutting to the hands, you don't notice. You think it's just a continuous statement that's carrying on. Yeah. Um, things like that. It's really interesting. Yeah. Were you saying that in that scene, were the, other, were the housemates looking a bit dumbfounded as if they'd I think so. suddenly seen the light or, or not? That they were lost for words is what I thought about it at the end of that. Yeah. It was said that, you know, okay, it was a, supposedly this very low risk of myocarditis, one in 33,000. And then it was said, I think there might have been a voiceover, um, your risk of getting myocarditis with COVID is higher. And then I think it went to this sort of dumbfounded, mm. implying they had nothing to say after that. Mm. And I thought, well, actually, so many things could be brought up. What about this one in 33,000? Is that just off yellow card information? We know that's vastly underreported. That's well known. Um, is your risk of getting my- myocarditis with COVID higher now with Omicron? Or does that is that talking about another variant? Mm. What about... If you've had COVID before and then you get this injection, you know, there are lots of questions that could be asked in here that, mm. well, presumably were asked and we didn't get to hear about. Instead, they were all dumbfounded and had nothing to say. <laughs> yeah, from what I saw of them, even even though, like I say, when you're looking at an edit, they're almost like characters. But, you know, you have to remember they're all real people. They didn't seem like the kind of people. I mean, at the end, of course, none of them said they were going to get the vaccine. So they couldn't have been that convinced. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I wonder how many hours of footage they took it from. Did they have the camera rolling all day? I don't know. Mm. I feel like they probably didn't. Well, the other thing I wanted to add was, of course, yeah. um, these vaccines, as we know, mm. don't prevent you getting COVID. 
Yes. So if you say, well, the risk of myocarditis with COVID is higher, okay. But if you get COVID anyway, then haven't you not got a compound risk? Mm. Taking both, you know, taking the vaccine and getting it. Mm. It's, it. It was just so simplistic, the whole thing. That's the other um, thing, yeah, so using simplicity, yeah. yeah. And, um, oh dear, what was the stat that she said was a slam dunk? Have you got a note of that? Oh, no, I have the phrase uh, in my mind, uh, the slam dunk, that's right. No, because the slam dunk... Was that, yes, I have it, I have it. It's right at the end, you know. When I hear stats like that, and that was to do with the 20 out of mm. 21 patients at this hospital at a particular point in time who were suffering in ICU, I think it was, were unvaccinated. All right, which Norman Fenton questions... <laughs> What does that actually mean? Um, does it mean they didn't have the full course, whatever the full course of vaccines is anyway? Um, were they not triple vaccinated? You know, if they weren't triple vaccinated, are they counted as unvaccinated? Anyway, um, we then get Hannah saying, when I hear stats like that, ah. it feels like such a slam dunk. Because ah, I remembered it differently. And I must confess, I only watched it once because uh, yeah, I admire you for watching it twice. Well done, Julian. It's very professional. <laughs> 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 I only watched it once. I thought it was a stat. Because it was a stat that had the word could in it. <laughs> okay. No, it was the two ladies. Yeah, because, you know, they split off and went on their kind of road trips. Mm. And if you remember, Vicky and Nazarene didn't want to go. Mm. And uh, Chanel, the lady who was pregnant, and Naomi, mm. they went to see another expert. And this was quite interesting. The, the stat was vaccines could, again, not really specifying, but vaccines could prevent stillbirth by 15% if you get COVID while pregnant. Now, notice could. Mm. And Hannah made a point of, she said, I'll repeat that stat. But that was very strange, isn't it? If you don't mind me repeating a line I've, I've said many times in the past, it's a bit like saying kills up to 80% of germs. And I always say to people, give me your bank details and I'll transfer up to a million pounds in your account immediately. <laughs> it's very funny that Hannah kind of leapt on that stat in particular. Because what does that mean? Could prevent. I mean, I'm not saying there's nothing to it, but it's, it's strange, isn't it? It's a bit of a use of language there. It is indeed, yes. And this is one of the things that mm. Norman Fenton picks up. I'll mention his bullet points in a minute in this essay here. And of course, I'll put a link to this essay. Mm. But he says that, uh, well, this is one of no challenge to the many explicit false claims made. And one was, he mentions Adam Finn. But he mentions the second one here is Asma Khalil, who is this, is the doctor in that scene, mm. the academic in that scene. That's right. Claimed the vaccination was not only completely safe for pregnant women, but actually reduced the risk of miscarriage by 15%. But he says, in another piece, he says here, so Asma Khalil, a professor of obstetrics and maternal fetal medicine at St. George's University Hospital in London, who has conducted research into the effects of the jab on pregnant women, uh, her latest review, looking at the outcomes of nearly 120,000 jabbed pregnant women, concluded that vaccination in pregnancy was safe. So that's a quote. And then he says, yet, and as part of his response, he says, as long ago as 2015, Asma Khalil declared the following conflicts of interest as a member of NICE Quality Standards Committee. That's not the one I want. Um, no, he says... Um, it is also important to note that the review of nearly 120,000 jabbed pregnant women is actually a meta-analysis of what appears to be cherry-picked studies, many of which have obvious biases and flaws. That's not all regarding 
Dr. Khalil. It turns out that she was a participant in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation funded simulation, quote, preparing for disease X, ensuring vaccine equity for pregnant women in future pandemics. Mm. None of that was told to us. <laughs> yeah, it's very fascinating, I must say, this use of language and things. But um, Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it can yeah. be used for dark purposes, no doubt. Yes, so, well, I think we mentioned it, haven't we? The, the constant use of vaccinated. The whole thing is called unvaccinated. It wasn't called vaccine-free, or it wasn't called mm. pharmaceutical intervention-free. <laughs> All these things would have been yeah. less leading. Yeah. Um, Weighing up the pros and cons. Yeah, exactly. I thought I would just mention some of these other bullet points from Norman Fenton, so people can just check this out. So his criticism of the programme, um, he criticises the claim of 4 billion UK adults for unvaccinated. He criticises, he says, failure to disclose the Pfizer links of the two key experts, Finn and Khalil, on the programme, failure to disclose background to fullfact.org, um, which we've talked about, uh, no challenge to the many explicit false claims made, which we mentioned, the jelly beans game, he has a lot to say about that, no mention of the failure of the vaccination to stop infection or transmission of COVID, I think they do mention that actually, so I'm not sure he's right about that. Um, failure to humanise any actual vaccination victims. The ludicrous and misleading MMR vaccination anecdote, which we talked about. No challenge to the powerful claim that 20 out of 21 ICU patients at St George's Hospital in 2021 were unvaccinated, uh, which we'd also mentioned. A failure to mention reported data on adverse reactions. No mention of the true risk of COVID based on worldwide data. No mention of the way COVID data are being uh, are by definition fixed to exaggerate cases, numbers, hospitalizations, deaths, as well as vaccine efficacy and safety. No mention of a lack of long-term safety data. That's a big one for me. Mm. Why should I put this into my body when, quite frankly, we do not know and nobody knows what the long-term effect is going to be? That's my choice. That's my view of it. Um, no mention of all the protocol violations now known in the main Pfizer trial. Uh, it goes on and on and on. It's no point in saying anymore. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, please do check that out. That will be in the show notes. Yes. And nicely, she ends by saying uh, it's complex. Yeah, that was one thing I picked up on. Did she? She's learned through her journey that it's complex. So she didn't think it was complex before. Mm. But, okay, fair enough. She said it's complex. Yes, that is good. She said that. Mm. She then said, we must listen to people. And I thought, well, maybe she listened to people. But the program itself didn't listen to people, if you know what I mean. I don't mm. feel like the producers and the editors really listened to people. Mm. But her point's right. Yeah, we must listen to people. And she also threw in that we should deal with misinformation. Mm. And I think of what Dr. Piers Robinson said on TMR a few weeks ago, that by far government is the greatest purveyor of disinformation. Um, that's not what she intended to say, of course. Um, mm. She even brought up the... Was it the disinformation dozen, wasn't it, I think, was brought up? Yeah, that was bizarre. Is that supposed to be a group or is that, have they just worked out there's 12 individuals? 12 influencers, yes, who have a vaccine cautious <laughs> stance. But are they, are they, um, are they, is that the name of a group or is she just named them that because it happens to be 12? Oh, it's from a report by the Centre for Countering Digital Hate. Okay. And they have chosen people like Joseph Merkler, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, Sherry Tenpenny, those are the only names I think. I might have recognised one or two others. Yeah. But why a dozen? I can only think it's because it goes nicely with Dirty, Dirty Dozen, you know. Mm. Isn't there a film, The Dirty? Oh, yeah, Dirty Dozen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the name for a film, yeah. As opposed to Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so 
so it's arbitrary, isn't it? Why 12? I'm sure you could choose other people. I mean, there are other people I thought, well, surely they're on there and they're not. But then that would break the nice dozen yeah. alliteration that they wanted to create. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the other thing she said in the epilogue was that the risk of pandemic is getting higher. It will be higher in the future. And I did think to myself, well, I suppose if the World Health Organization is the one that declares a pandemic, they set the definition of what a pandemic is, then they can, yeah, make sure that that is in fact the case. Whether it is medically justifiable to state that that is going to be the case is another matter. You know, a lot of people, a lot of media will point towards all these wet markets and the like, and our connection to animals, our interaction with animals in this sense is becoming greater as we become more urbanized and all this. And I'm, and I'm thinking, well, that is all predicated on the notion that this didn't escape from a lab, which I still think is the most likely explanation. But if it's from a lab, then by the same token, one could say maybe the chance of these events is going to increase simply by dint of the fact that we're going to continue doing gain-of-function research. Yeah. And I remember, um, I think it was Merrill Nass, Dr. Merrill Nass speaking to another doctor, this was a long time ago, um, and he was saying, speaking to her, that... Um, when you consider that there are leaks from labs, irrespective of whether this one was or not, but there are leaks from labs, um, then the chance of there being a very serious escape at some point approaches one. Mm. So it makes one wonder, why does gain-of-function research even exist if it's that dangerous? That's quite a deep question in itself. Yeah. Sorry, I went off at a tangent there a little, but those thoughts yeah. came to my mind when she was doing her little epilogue. Um, Sorry. Anyway, I, I just wanted to reiterate at the end that I think I agree with you that the documentary so-called could have been a lot worse. Mm. Um, I was expecting it to be worse than it was. I, I quite enjoyed it in a way, it infuriated me to some extent, mm-hmm. but I did quite enjoy it. And I wish I'd been there, you know, I wish I'd been invited because it was, yeah. I suppose I could have tried to put my view where it would have been edited out. I, I know. Um, but I think I would have enjoyed being there amongst that group because they reminded me of a stand in the park. You know, people who have similar concerns have got on really well because of it. Mm. And she, Hannah Fry was, was very pleasant as well. It would have been nice just to interact with her and see what she really thought rather than the edited version mm. that we got. So I think it could have been a lot worse than it was, That's um, but it was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd say this mm. the same. Yeah. I mean, a couple of points really before we go. Um, mm. Number one, I, I am basically vaccine hesitant. Uh, I, cautious. Uh, You're vaccine so, cautious. Cautious. Yes. Yeah. yes. Vaccine cautious. He who hesitates is lost. Uh, yeah, language. He who hesitates is lost. Yeah, but caution is a good thing, you see. Okay. So as I'm saying, I'm vaccine cautious. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was joking. I was going to say, as I was saying, I'm vaccine cautious. <laughs> that wasn't what I said originally. No. Um, you know, I'm not anti-vax and I'm just not sure. And if I sound... Uh, cynical i think it's probably through experience mm. to some extent and i've probably spent a bit too much time with this documentary in the last two <laughs> weeks as well that could be it yeah and well, uh, yeah well I, I would say that i'm vaccine cautious and in fact what's happened over the last two years has made me more so mm. now i know that's often lamented isn't it oh you know people are going to be uh, even more hesitant um, especially if there's uh, heavy handedness from the government and uh, i'm thinking yeah you're too right. Um, it has made me worry even more about all the other vaccines that are on offer, which is not to say any of them are dangerous. I don't know. Or maybe they're all mm. very useful, etc. Um, but it puts that question mark in my mind as to whether I've been too trusting in the past about them. Yeah. And I'm afraid by being so heavy handed, the authorities have created that situation themselves. Mm. It's their fault for doing that. 
Yeah. Yeah, the other thing I want mm. to say about the documentary, I think I said it's right at the beginning, sort of kind of circling back. I'm pleased it was made because mm. I think it's inadvertently served a fantastic purpose. Right. You know, perhaps your audience and my audience are already kind of battle-hardened in that regard. But yeah. for people who, who aren't, I mean, I've urged my parents to watch it. I think my mum listened to my podcast. She's a big fan of mine. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's – I'm very happy that it was made because uh, hmm. there's so much uncertainty in the world. But when I can watch this documentary and we can point out very confidently at least the techniques which are being used, yes, which I'm not uncertain about, I'm very certain about those, then I think it serves a purpose and hopefully, you know, we can now serve the purpose of pointing this out. But, you know, media techniques is a fascinating, and propaganda is a fascinating topic. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd almost study it for fun, to be honest. <laughs> but perhaps fun isn't the best bit, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I hope people yeah. find this conversation fun and not just depressing, because it's not intended to be, is it? It is, it is, uh, it is a fascinating subject. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think, as I said before, I think probably the main intent with this was not really to change anybody's mind, but was to reinforce the narrative. So the two camps stay, particularly people who really buy into, have bought into the propaganda field. They were right after all. Try to solidify that. And also to put people off questioning any problems because they don't want to be, oh dear, I don't want to be associated with these people who are less rational, you know. Mm. So I think it's essentially about reinforcing the existing narrative as it collapses, basically. Um, Mm. But I'm not sure it really worked. I think I agree with you. I think it's, yeah, it was pretty much a damp squib. And has revealed, certainly revealed to surely a lot of people that the so-called trustworthy BBC is not quite as trustworthy as uh, we have thought in previous times. Yeah. And I think I always say that, you know, if you're so sure of your arguments, then you don't need to do all these tactics and stuff. Yeah. You know? No, exactly mm. right. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. I think we've done it, Anthony. <laughs> Yes, I've got nothing left, Julian. No, no. Oh, well, great to speak to you again. Thank you. Um, Thank you very much for coming on for the 104th time to TMR. Um, Very much enjoyed listening to your podcast about it, and I knew that will be a springboard to this conversation. Mm. And I look forward, of course, to when you come on again, which I think is going to be when we're talking about a very British coup. Oh, yes. Yeah, in connection with the the removal... (laughs) of Jeremy Corbyn and he referred to in an interview fairly recently he referred to this very work didn't he a very British coup Mm. Um, so yeah it'll be interesting to see how the actual series itself maps on to Jeremy Corbyn's own experience as he recounted it so yeah that's what we're going to be talking about at some point in the not too distant future Uh, not just you and I but uh, a few others as well including John Booth the journalist is uh, very interested in joining us for that Mm. um so, yeah, thanks very much for coming on again, Anthony. It's always a delight to speak with you. Um, look forward to speaking to you again. You're very welcome. Before you go, though, before you go, mm. do please plug your podcasts, your three podcasts. Yeah, this is why I came on, Julian, actually. That hour and a half <laughs> was just a uh, lead-up to this. No, um, <laughs> right. Yes, uh, I suppose my most famous one, if that's the right word, Glass Onion on John Lennon, obviously about John Lennon. It's been three and a half years. I've been saying for about the last two years that <laughs> wondering how long I can keep that going. But uh, the one most pertinent really to TMR is life and life only. And in fact, you've, mm. you've been on there kind of indirectly, at least. I've used a couple of conversations we've had. And the podcast I did about this is called Unvaccinated and the Propaganda of Presumption. It sums up quite nicely some of the stuff we've been talking about as well. So yeah, life and life only. The Twitter is at lifeonly 75 
And then I've got third podcast that you've been on. We did Groundhog Day, and that's Film Gold. That's a deep dive as well, but that's probably the one that's the most for fun. But the one I'm probably focusing the most attention is Life and Life Only. Yeah. And just thank you very much for having me on again. It's been great. Uh, absolute delight. Always great to speak to you, Anthony. Okay. All the best. And you. Bye. Bye bye. Show notes for this program can be found at The Mind Renewed, themindrenewed.com. Podcast music by the brilliant Anthony Rajkoff. Attribution non-commercial share alike 4.0 International. You have been listening to me, Julian Charles, and my guest, Anthony Rutuno, and I very much look forward to speaking to you again in the near future. Thank you.